Hey, 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 and welcome back to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics Precious. What the fuck? <laughs> I, you know, I figure, why not? <laughs> it took me a hot second to realize you were doing Golem, because I swear <laughs> to Christ, I thought you were doing Snarf. Ah, <laughs> uh, deep cuts. <laughs> deep, although, deep, nerdy, nerdy cuts. Although, I mean, tangentially related, because uh, I'd say Thundercats is is a sort of a cartoon pulp sci-fi thing that uh, <laughs> that I will awkwardly juxtapose into talking about what our topic is today. Oh, which what's is, that? Which is uh, pulp. And its ongoing influence on the biggest media in the world. <laughs> all, all of the things that make all of the money are from garbage media of the early 20th century. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> but also a little sad. But also happy. On a side note, I because... just want you... <laughs> oh, go ahead. I just want you to know the theater I work at. Seven... Out of the 12 auditoriums, we'll be playing one of those movies. <laughs> of course. We, we went from uh, having nine movies to five. Wow. <laughs> uh, we are, of course, talking about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> although we will try not to just talk about Star Wars, because as with superhero movies, we, we try to do more than just, hey, how about that Star <laughs> War? Aren't right. those Avengers avenging real good? Um, because <laughs> I just brought it up because say. I found out today, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, but uh, oh god, I was I'm trying to keep my nerd shit in order this week because it's Star Wars week, obviously. But I've actually right. I'm, I'm not gonna see. I'm probably not gonna get to see it opening day because I didn't buy movie tickets six months ago. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like but, I'm, I I worked the night the tickets went on sale, and I was shocked by how many people came in. In person to oh. buy tickets. Wow, it's something. <laughs> uh, not not necessarily just something good, but it is something. Um, and Anyhow. I mean, it's it's also ah, I I'm trying to keep a, a, a low profile here, a because already a huge Star Wars dork, but also Ryan Johnson is one of those people who just makes movies for me in <laughs> individually. Like, right. the fact that anybody listening to this, anybody else likes Ryan Johnson's movies, is ancillary, because I'm pretty sure he makes them just for me. Because <laughs> what do we got? What do we got? We got Brick, which is a literal, like, basically a Dashiell Hammett novel, but taking place in a high school. Right. Uh, with, the, with, bizarrely, the Dashiell Hammett-sounding dialogue intact in a right. two, early 2000s high school. We have The Brothers Bloom, which is like a quirky yet dark con man heist romance movie. Which, somehow, if The Last and, Jedi does anything, I hope more people see The Brothers Bloom. If only God because damn right. fuck Brody and the other guy, Rachel Weiss is a goddamn amazing. Oh, she is a treasure in that movie. Like, just. <laughs> yeah, she just like, steals every moment she can with just this unabashed like love of everything that's going on around her right it's it's just charming She's also and adorable really good and denial that other movie that came out last year the mick yeah movie. directed by but that's mick a Jagger, less not but that's a mick less Jagger. happy movie <laughs> I, think, I think it might be mick jackson i don't know why i said mick Jagger. yeah that that was weird <laughs> 
And then I'm also not Looper. Fad. Yeah, we all know. Okay. <laughs> we we didn't know you didn't know that. Oh, I just found out just now. Huh. And Looper, which is of course time travel, and that's all I need. But also great time Looper. travel, which is a bonus. <laughs> As a, as a brief tangent, so I'll stop talking about Ryan Johnson movies in just seconds. So we can talk about what we're actually talking about. But but the thing that, like, Looper may actually be my favorite form of time travel in a movie. Okay. Because the crux of it is that the universe does not care what human beings do. <laughs> like, the way that time travel functions in that movie. No, I mean, they talk about how you shouldn't mess with the timeline. But you, you don't see any actual consequences for that. It's just that the humans don't want you to. Like, you right. can... You can do horribly disruptive things, and the universe is just like, okay, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> it's great. No, uh, so anyway, nothing yeah, changes. All, uh, I mean, things change. Well, the things change for the people who who have things done to them, but that's right. basically it. Okay. Nothing else cares. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so any really any of those movies is. 100% worth watching. Brothers Br- Bloom, I would probably give more of a recommendation to because I think it's the least it's it's sort of the the unappreciated middle child movie. It is. Despite a stellar cast. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Not only that, but I love the stories about Conman. Yeah. Yeah, that is our that is one of our many like things that we share. It's just <laughs> an unabashed love for charming terrible people. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh pulp and its influence on Star Wars and other things. So, uh, yeah. Define so what you mean by pulp, Thaddeus. Well, I mean, if I wanted to be uh, dictionary thumpingly literal, which right. I don't, but I'll do it just as a, a way of rolling the topic forward. Uh, you know, pulp as a term, of course, comes from the the cheap magazines from the early 20th century uh, that were all crime fiction and romance and just. Uh, all like a you know your your usual sort of crime fiction romance adventure uh, are I the big three that I always think of uh, horror right. also yeah big four sorry uh, horror sci fi sort of bundled bundled together that's where you also got like Lovecraft and all that from the the sort of pulp horror of those uh, those early magazines but the name of course comes from just the cheap paper they were printed on right uh, and they were just the they were the pop media of that era. Uh, it was, uh, to me, of course, it's not just about the quality of the paper, obviously, that's just where the name comes from, but it's about the tone, Jeremiah, I say as right. though you don't know this, but also <laughs> audience, who I hope are taking some notes, because this is good shit, uh, but it, Pulp, to me, is all about the tone, um, it's, I think, it, it's about a kind of, it's heightened emotion, it's very arch characters, it's exaggerated circumstances, um, it's, you know, the, the roots of film noir, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't all have to be dark crime shit. It can be bright and explosions and adventure and stuff. To me, it's, it's just about all, it, it's always about that exaggeration. Right. Whatever the core of your themes are, whatever the core of your characters are, it's all cranked. Well, in a lot of ways, Pulp is sort of like the antecedent to like melodrama. And camp. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, a lot of times these three things will overlap. Hmm. And uh, actually, there's a movie out right now, The Shape of Water. Yes. This is a I haven't seen it gorgeous yet, but movie. I, I one must. One of the best of the year. 
And this very popish in terms of like how defined the characters are. They're very much Michael Shannon's character is just a bad guy. He's not morally grade. Like all the characters have very specific moral alignment. I uh, I think there was a review I heard on like I want to say NPR because I yeah I was I was listening to the radio and somebody <laughs> mentioned that like Michael Shannon must just come with the kit when you want to have a movie <laughs> that takes place in the fifties with some sort of like authoritarian nice. male figure. <laughs> I heard that too. Yeah, I about had to pull over. I laughed so much. (laughs) But yeah, no, like, and I think a lot of people, for some reason, have trouble adjusting to that because they're so used to like you're taught in literary class and in film class, your characters have to have like logic and reason to them. But in a lot (laughs) of like pulp ventures and pulp fantasy, they really don't. Right, pulp. Uh, well, a lot of they are the way they are because that's what the story requires them to be, and that's about yeah. I mean, a lot of the ways that the we don't get a lot of straight pulp anymore. Most right. of what we get is very uh, either partial. Well, we'll say three categories: either partially, largely, or entirely deconstructionist in nature. Right. So you'll set you'll set it up like it's a pulp uh, thing, but then like, oh, the villain has relatable whatever. Guillermo right. del Toro movies and pulp. Let's talk about Hellboy 2 as an example of this. Uh, Hellboy 2 is great because I love the villain in Hellboy 2 because he's, you know, the the elf prince who wants to destroy everyone. But yeah, like, he's kind of really understandable in why he wants to. Right. Like, it's... It's, it's understandable, but at the same time, you're like, there has to be a better way than destroying the entirety of humanity. Yeah, like, it, it, it sort of waffles between being deconstructionist and being pulp and... uh yeah, Guillermo del Toro and also Mike Mignola, who of course created Hellboy. Like the, right. these are people who have, clearly have a great appreciation for uh, for pulp uh, of all kinds, like horror, crime, well, uh, sort of flow through those veins. And now with with Shape of Water, also like romance, like that that sort of monster romance movies right. of of like the fifties that are also in that sort of inheritors of pulp category. What's interesting is he's not so much deconstructing. And Shape of Water is so much as he is embracing and playing with. Because, yeah, sort of, sort of like play, sort of playing it straight. Right, and I think it's a little bit off-putting for people because like there's not a lot of like the the relationship between the monster and Sally Hawkins' character Eliza is never given a real reason why. But because like in most pulp novels, that's not the point. The point is they're in love. The reason yeah, it's, why it's, it's, is it's, not so much. Love Same at first sight. Why, like, why that does is... Roby the Robot love the one human woman on Forbidden Planet? Eh, no one knows. It's like, none of this makes any sort of inherent sense. You just go with it because uh, that's what the story is asking you to do. Yeah, I, I think that's also part of why, like, for a pulp narrative to make sense, because they're often fairly simple, right. uh, they need to have that heightened sense of emotion and heightened sense of certainty and, like, heightened... Uh, exaggerated characterization because the momentum that that gives you pushes through how kind of dumb and simple the plots often are (laughs) and i don't mean any of that i don't mean any of that in an insulting way like it's fine to have a simple plot and it's fine for stupid things to happen in movies or whatever your media of choice is like before they fired everyone uh cracked.com made a great like (laughs) grist of just showing how even great movies like like Christopher Nolan movies, which I love, and they're all com- like seem complex and stuff, often just through filmic 
methods trick you into missing really obvious stupid things that make no sense well that's and that's the essence of like i think really good storytelling i'm just making it like yeah. wait a minute what doesn't matter just move on oh, okay yes sir and you just drop the <laughs> doubt and just move on yeah momentum is important in storytelling like <laughs> and pulp is all about momentum it is not usually contemplative no. If it comes close to contemplative, it's in the, like, Shakespearean soliloquy mode, where it's just, I feel everything so hard. It's like when you read the old Doc Savage or the Shadow books. Yes. They, they're like, yes. they, you can just read them in, like, an afternoon. They just move by so fast because they're, they're not giving you any background of any of the characters. It's just, the characters are these. This is happening. They deal with that. They fix that. End of story. Yeah. Um... It's it's about simplicity, but it's it's simplicity by design. I think is is the important part. Like it's it's not an accident that it's like no bad guy, good guy, uh, love at first sight, go whatever. Well, uh, you bring up uh, you brought up Shakespeare and Pope, and that's honestly Forbidden Planet. Yes, because uh, Forbidden Planet is the Tempest. Yes. Um, if <laughs> if anyone listening didn't already know about that. Uh, yeah, the one of the the sort of big canon classic sci-fi movies, uh, Forbidden Planet, is is very much lifting from because filmmakers love to steal from Shakespeare because everybody loves to steal from Shakespeare. Right. It's fine. This was back when Leslie Nielsen, actor, like a square-jawed actor, actor. <laughs> Which she did for a very, very long time before. Like, it's it's really weird to think that Leslie Nielsen became famous as a comedian, comedic actor, like in the later part of his life. Yeah. <laughs> like up until then, but, like uh, he was a he was killed on an episode of Columbo, <laughs> and he was a love interest to the murderess on another episode of Columbo. <laughs> God. I love how okay we we need to be careful because we'll turn this into a which would be great. Um, well, because because speaking of pulp, there's a bit of pulp about Columbo. Uh, well, because the other thing with pulp, and I think this speaks to the like the the sort of Doc Savage example you were you were talking about earlier is also just the the kind of serialization. Whether it's in magazines, whether it was the the pulp movie serials that directly inspired or slash were ripped off for Indiana Jones and Star Wars, um, you know they're they're all about just cheap and fast and as like just over the top and go. Well, and that's the uh, way television that... used to be. There was no continuity between episodes. It was every episode was a different story. And well, was, I mean, Columbo, I think, is a fascinating. I'll, I'll try to get off this. Hmm? I'll try to get off this horse here in a second. But Columbo is a, a fascinating, like, case study in TV because of how long it went on. Oh god! Because like Columbo carried on habits from much earlier eras of television, such as drawing from a staple of uh, a stable rather of actors, right? Uh, like reusing actors that had been killers before, uh, and it's it's just kind of fascinating because that's. That that's just verboten. That like no right. one would do that unless it's unless you're doing a, a thing to like watch a show in which I never know what actor would come back as what. Yeah, I mean, yeah, unless you're doing like American Horror Story or, or some of the, those people who are kind of doing that stable of actors thing and bringing right. it back. But, but, but that's, just, that's like, different. They're not, 
They're just doing like another universe type thing with every season. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, no, uh, there were people in Columbo that were both the murderer and the victim. Oh, no, no, that's actually... So I skipped a lot of American Horror Story. Right. Um, no, because it was super meta and that is catnip for me. Right. And it also drew in characters from previous seasons later on who were played by people who were playing other roles in the current season <laughs> it was <Okay>. fucking bananas <laughs> I, I i i didn't know what to do i still don't quite know what to do with it but it was interesting um that sounds awesome. but yeah i think serialization like the way that um i don't know the the way that binge watching has developed in in regard to like netflix things like uh netflix series and things like that i don't know it 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 in, like I, I'm, I'm of two minds because partly I want to say like, oh, it's 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 sort of bringing back serials in a in a particular way, but it's also not. So I don't know. Right. That well, was a because, weird tangent that okay. went nowhere. <laughs> Perfect example: uh, Murder She Wrote. Yes. Though, in an in an average show, the amount of death that happens in a small town known as Cabot Cove would raise eyebrows. They would start talking about it. They would make reference to, my God, this is like the seventh murder this week or something like that. Yeah, no one ever notices. never did that. It was every murder they took on, head on, and they never made any meta references to anything prior. It was just, no, no, this matters first. Like, what we're dealing with is what we're dealing with. Everything else is tertiary. Yeah. It was not, like, the the kind of continuity obsession is a much more modern injection into that. That right. that came from, like, a lot more comic book sci-fi sort of fandom spheres than started leaking outward. Well, not only but, that, but the obsession to point out tropes or sort of, like, basic television necessities. Like, oh, we do this all yeah. the time. Or, like, when they talk about Buffy, let's go save the world. Again, like, stuff like that. That yeah. is a, a relatively new notion for a modern audience. Because like, yeah. if you watch old television, there's none of that. The A-team would never go, let's go do this again. It was like always oh, like, well, we got to do this. But, uh, oh, one of the things I wanted to step back to, to sort of broadly picking apart directions of pulp. Because there's something I was thinking about that is... It's pretty obvious. Uh, but so the, the, the main sort of pulp... Uh, staples that I that I look back at from the the old like pulp magazines. You had you had your horror, you had your crime, you had your adventure. You also had romance. Yes, and pulp romance did not matriculate up to mainstream movies in the same way. Like it didn't. <laughs> when I think of pulp romance, and I think this is of course, uh, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of good feminist uh, discussion to have out of this, but I'll try to keep it brief. But you look at where pulp romance, like the inheritors of pulp romance, I was, I was talking uh, with Kara about this earlier, um, largely like Lifetime movies and soap operas. Right, like, melodrama is where they went to. Yeah, that's where it ended up because women are always a secondary market. Well, what's really uh, odd is... romance is for women. <laughs> in the 50s and 60s, pulp romance was actually pretty huge within the studio. Oh yeah, yeah like early comic books, like people like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were were doing like romance comics, and also like, uh, you know, they, they also had worked on like the rom- the the like the bigger pulp bo- uh, books back in the day as well. Right, like uh, this is it's only like once you got into the seventies and eighties, they started to die off, and yeah. they started being relegated to 
romance fiction, which is very pulpish and very steamy. Yeah, and I mean, it's still, like... The, the thing that's interesting is, like, the nobody talks about how huge the pulp romance book publishing, like, industry still is. It is, is gobsmackingly huge. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and it, is, it is the perfect illustrator of what pulp has always been. It's incredibly formulaic, and nobody cares because it's supposed to be. Well, and that's one of the only, like, one of the few salient arguments for, like, stuff like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, let's let's just stick with Twilight because Fifty Shades is just it doesn't do BDSM right, and that's. Well, thank you, it, like, it I understand. Yeah, the problematic aspects. I know. Aspects. I, know. <laughs> I just anytime it's invoked, I have to go like the. It's not doing it right. I understand. Anyway. I, I'm with you. <laughs> but yes, back to your point. But like, yeah, no, like the, the, everyone's like, this is stupid. Well, it's not meant to be taken that seriously. It's pulp romance for a younger set of teenagers. <laughs> right, and I mean, in some ways, I actually think that. One of the things that has been lost in regard to appreciation of pulp is in right what you said just then. It's not meant to be taken that seriously. And that is where I think Star Wars fans have caused a massive cultural failing that we cannot (laughs) escape. Because you have, like, you're required to take Star Wars seriously to be a fan. Right. Uh, in terms of what the community, like what the idea of being a fan is now expects. And there's something kind of sad about that because as we discussed, like when we were talking about trash movies before, like you don't, not everything has to be serious. The things well, you like can be dumb and it can be fine. The stuff that Star Wars is inspired <laughs> by, not the filmmaking technique, that's taken from great people like Kurosawa. And, no, no, but but the actual, but, like your Flash Gordons, right. your, your, Flash Gordons. your Rocket Man. Yeah, all right. that. These were not great movies. They're, no. they're amazing movies, but they're not great movies. They were, I mean, they weren't even movies. They were movies. Seri- they were they were right. episodic snippets produced as cheaply as possible. <laughs> so uh, it was one amazing. of those weird things when I hear something like, there were, there you hear some complaints of like how now that we're going into a new Star Wars, there's a thing that happens on the internet, the thing that happened two movies ago is no longer cool. It's now cool to hate it. Yeah, and say so like I like Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and um, Oscar Isaac, but the characters just are really thin and they're not really well fleshed out. I'm like, of course not, because the fucking pulp. They're just yeah. there to move the goddamn Han Solo story and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia weren't fleshed out either. We've just lived with them for the last like fucking ever. Right, They've and been not all that, but you have all that expanded material. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fucking like, novels that I've read about what Han Solo was doing before he showed up in the cantina. <laughs> like, yeah. It's one of the things that's like, oh, it, you, you, you're putting too much on this. This is not meant to be... Yeah, it's... It does, it's not... It, it was never great in that way, and it's fine that it's not. Right. It's, it's, and it's sometimes fine. those things stick with you more than the stuff that's really well fleshed out, and that's fine, too. Yeah. You can't help uh, but stick sure... with you. <laughs> Although I'm sure, like, there's someone there. I'm sure there's like a tar, a, a like a, a tar and feather, pitchfork and torch crowd out there who would bristle at the idea of saying, like, you know what, Twilight and Star Wars rely on a lot of the same like narrative shit, but they do. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here uh, first, folks. Twilight and Star Wars, one and the same. I mean. Especially if you look at early drafts of the script, holy shit! But, <laughs> You're uh, not there's actually wrong, especially with the whole Luke and Leia thing. 
uh, uh, actually, uh, I don't know, since we keep circling around Star Wars, there's a, a YouTube video I want to give a shout out to that I watched this week. It was okay. by the uh, the Rocket Jump Film School, okay. and they did a great video about how Star Wars was saved in the edit, <laughs> and it 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 tells a lot about like the differences between what the rough cut of Star Wars was and and like the 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 way that what we know of as Star Wars was fashioned by the editors, right? Uh, and it's it's great. So there's that. Just random shout out. Well, yeah, like, like you follow um, the history of Star Wars at all, you begin to realize, yeah, he lucked out. He had people who knew what he was doing helping him. Like that's that's true for 100 percent of people that we think are brilliant. It's fine. They they <laughs> they had they had great people that they worked with, and then their name was on, but their name was on the top of the thing, and so they got all the credit, and then they convinced themselves that they always deserved it. That's just right. how the world works. Uh, <laughs> Since we're talking about Star Wars, I think we need to talk about what the landscape looked like before Star Wars. Yes, yes. Let us dig back into the mists of time uh, and try and and understand that once, long ago, in a galaxy not too far from this one, uh, Star Wars didn't exist. Well, not only that, but Star Wars didn't exist. The amount of money that movies like Star Wars make didn't exist. Arguably, of, there weren't movies like Star Wars to make that money. Right. And the amount of fan devotee to a movie like Star Wars existed, but not in the same sort of mass... I don't... like Almost like a, a mass psychosis. You, 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 you can say cult. It's fine. Right. It, but... <laughs> m- Movies like Star Wars and Jaws created an entirely different culture for movies. And the amount of money they made also broke records. And it seems like Star yeah. Wars seems intent on doing that every time they come out with a new damn movie. <laughs> they have to. Like, that's just what you have to do now whenever you well, make a big... Understand, uh... We live in a culture in which a movie like Justice League made $600 million. And was a flop. failure. That's insane. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, it's not great, but $600 million is not something to fucking sneeze at. <laughs> uh, that is a lot of zeros after a six. I don't. I want you to understand. Am I? Like, this comes I didn't know other, a culture I didn't know other people sneezed at things. I thought that was just me. Hmm? I didn't know other people sneezed at things, like, aggressively. I thought that was ah, just me. Yes, I sneeze at them all the time. I'm a sneezer. Okay. Fair enough. I'm a cranky, <laughs> cackling But yeah, sneezer. like, it is it is weird to think about, like, it's hard to conceive of at this point what movies were before the sort of blockbuster mode came yeah. about. Because before they were just kind of, the, as, as I think the best comparison as I understand it is they kind of just fulfilled a similar, similar role that, like, fucking live theater does. It's just well, a place that you go... To see something for a little while and then you leave. Well, not only that, the but, amount of stuff they used to show before a movie was we're kind of getting back to now, but in a different way. <laughs> yeah, in a worse way. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it used to be when Star Wars came out, and for a long time after Star Wars, until like in the last probably five, ten years, you had a six to seven auditorium theater, hmm. and they would play maybe four or five movies. And then multiplexes started happening. Yeah. And then George Lucas and Lord of the Rings, uh, the prequel trilogy and Lord of the Rings happened. And mm. now we usually, we have 12 theater houses and a small theater. Yeah. And the bigger theaters have like anywhere from 15 to 20. 
anything less than that, and they're going to be showing mostly foreign movies and cult hits. Right. And, like I said, about Although, seven I mean, theaters like, places in my like theater that are... out of 12 are going to be playing Star Wars, and we're only playing five. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing that simply because that is how many times people are going to be watching Star Wars over and And this is the important thing. The repeat viewings of Star Wars. Yeah. People, I think, have seen Star Wars more times than they have seen other movies that are, I would argue, better and more important than Star Wars. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, that's the thing, is that this is this is one of those ways that, like, fandom kind of commodifies how many times you see Star Wars. Right. So, like, the amount of times that you see it in, uh, in theaters is... It, it will be something people will reference for years to come. Well, not only that, but it's... people have stories about when they first saw Star Wars in the theater. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's, uh, before Star Wars, it was, it sounds weird to say, but it was many, many years ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. You, you just went to the movies, and a hit yeah. was $20 million. $20 million yeah, like used wasn't... to be a fucking huge thing. Like, a movie release wasn't an event in the same way. Right. Like, a movie would make $20 million over the period of time. And you, not a lot of movies... Like, well, also, the idea of a movie showing everywhere at once was all, another of those things that right. sort of blockbusters created. The idea of a wide release. And now we're getting to the point where now we're talking about how much... Um, an independent movie made on how many screens and how many cities and how many days. Mm. Um, what we're trying to get at is, like, Pulp has existed for as long as cinema has, but it's not until Pulp, Star Wars brought Pulp into the mainstream. Because yeah. we mentioned Forbidden Planet, there's also the movie Flash Gordon, but that came out about the same time Star Wars did and wasn't as huge at all. Um, yeah, it was It was much more uh, cult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pulp movies, Pope material for a long time was largely relegated to cult status. And then yeah. Star Wars brought it into the mainstream because if you look at a lot of 80s stuff that we love, there's a lot of pulp in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's... I think Star Wars and Flash Gordon are an interesting juxtaposition because Flash Gordon went in the sort of... Uh, if we look at the way pulp split, Flash Gordon went in sort of the camp direction. Right. Uh, which in some ways is truer to the pulp roots, whereas Star Wars went in the, let's say, more serious direction in that it, I don't know, I feel like what Star Wars is kind of like how an adult remembered the movie serials being as, like, not as ridiculous. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, when you know, the... Uh, that's that's one of the things. Like kids are always gonna like accept camp stuff way easier than adults will. Right. Uh, but by and large, uh, you like if you show a kid nineteen sixty six Batman versus like an adult, the adult will be more likely to be like, "This is silly." Right. Ugh. Whereas a kid's gonna be like, "Bam, pow, yeah, get <laughs> Batman, yeah." Uh, and and like that. Uh, that's. I don't know. It's it's interesting to me how that split happened. Well. And it's one of the things where, like, even after the first three Star Wars, like, the Pope stayed within the mainstream, but it, even then it wasn't as 
It wasn't until the comic book movies and the Star Wars movies started to happen at the same time. Yeah, like, because, I mean, you know, the Star Wars and Indiana Jones were sort of the big, big like, right. main, oh, okay, we can, we, we're, we're taking, like, literal pulp serial ideas and just making huge expensive movies out of them. Right. Um, Nine times out of ten, the other times you see them would be stuff like Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. Or Repo Man, and which is, like, just weird off-to-the-side stuff. Yeah, by and large, uh, th- yeah, that, that seems to be it. It was either Star Wars or Indiana Jones or weird B-movies. Right. And, of course, weird B-movies are sort of where it always was. Right. And, like, it's always had a history of being in weird B-movies, but, like, in the modern day, it's what you see is being spent over a billion dollars on. Uh, yes. It's because comic book movies are filled with pulp, and when you hear people complain about how oh, the Marvel villains are never really that interesting. I'm like, no, because the Pope villains. Why would they be? <laughs> yes, like, have you read this boy? Because he just wants to destroy the world, i.e. every comic book fucking villain <laughs> ever created. <laughs> yeah, like, I again, I feel like the, the comic book movie thing and the, Star, and the Star Wars thing, like, both of these in a way, like, the pulpiness of them suffer from what fans often think they are. (laughs) And it's like, it's fine. Like, I, too, grew up with comic books and and take them more seriously than is healthy. Uh, But I, I, in my ancient wisdom, have also developed some perspective from that. I I sort of flip back and forth, occupying both positions in in a quantum fandom state. Uh, And I thought, because, yeah, like, they're not like okay actually here's the perfect example because this is also why everyone has failed at putting doom on screen (laughs) because doom is the pulpist villain and you can't do and it's not doom if he's if he's not that right Doctor like, Doom has to is be, beautiful because he's Doctor Doom and nothing else. He, yeah, he has to be megalomaniacal magic Batman, <laughs> and that is all he can be. He speaks in all caps paragraphs. <laughs> he hates Reed Richards because fuck Reed Richards, <laughs> and he needs to get his mother's soul back from the devil. Never mind, it's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can't like, I think. Like the the Fantastic Four movies that they've made are just exercises in failing at that by trying to be deconstructionist at it, and you can't deconstruct Doctor Doom. He is Doctor Doom. Well, if you need to know that, what pulp is, pulp is Doctor Doom. I think also another reason why the Fantastic Four movies have failed is because they have failed to realize what you yourself just said: "Fuck Reed Richards." <laughs> <laughs> he is uh... not cool he is not interesting <laughs> he is a dick and he sue is immensely immeasurably better off with any fucking person in any goddamn universe Fuck oh, oh speaking Reed of richards i mean it, it, it's it's also amusing to me that uh no no fantastic four movie has attempted to incorporate the submariner because i mean <laughs> There has never been uh, a character more made to benefit from the female gaze than the Submariner. He's just a a cut swimmer dude who always only wears a Speedo. If Jason um, Momoa ever wanted to hop universes. 
Uh, but uh, but yes. So Submariner. <laughs> Submariner's actually another good example because he's like the weird pulp anti-hero where everything is like, ah, I hate all of you, but I must save you. Well, and here's the thing, going back to pulp, like you forgive those things in pulp because it is pulp. But yeah. I find a it draws lot of you people in. come out of like, oh, I don't like this movie, doesn't do such and such. I'm like, well, no, it's not, it was never going to do such and such. Why were you expecting that? Well, it's also like, and I, I've done dumb fan things. Like w- one of the big crimes of, I think, misunderstanding that something you like is pulp is if people are like, oh, well, that, that was kind of dumb. And you're like, oh, you just didn't get it. No, no, that's not it. It's just that people <laughs> don't like the same dumb stuff you do. <laughs> it's fine. It's possible it's okay. to get something and still not like it. Like in these fact. things are these things are silly and exaggerated and like I like these silly and exaggerated things and other people like theirs. Like I don't but, I don't care. Like that's I can't be I can't be mad that Twilight exists in a lot of ways because but, it's just it's just pulp romance. Uh like the supernatural romance is sort of a huge thing in, in pulp romance, and that was just one of the ones that made it big. It's just how it goes. Well, not only, like, looking back, like, the amount of hatred I had for a series of books and movies that I never really read or watched is kind yeah. of insane. Yeah, we're so, and again, like, it's it's one of those things, like, the, the niche media that is coded as being for women is not supposed to succeed. Right. And we get all weird about it. <laughs> like, even we, like, we, we're, we're, yeah, we're not fucking perfect whatever i mean yeah we're we're all woke now and shit but we still fuck up and i i remember hating twilight for no good reason i like, remember yeah, writing not... a column on for three geek blogspot about how awful twilight was yeah like it was but yeah so much of the stuff that we like like comic books are so, comic books are soap operas and spandex it's the same it's pro wrestling right times times more powerful plus if, especially if it's Stan Lee, more like confusing romance subplots. Like that's <laughs> that's what it is. You're ju- you're juggling the girl. Like Peter Parker is Dante from Clerks with superpowers, or vice versa. Like it's it's just yeah. shitty trite romance stories, but told to such exaggerated ex- uh, extent, and also punching octopus men that it it's great. Well, what's interesting <laughs> about Pope? is pulp is more willing to try different types of pulp than Absolutely. the mainstream stuff that has sort of adapted to pulp. Mm. Like, okay, perfect example. Logan is amazing. God, yes. It's a perfect demonstration of a comic book movie trying to do something different. Yeah. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm. But oh, the, the, you, oh, you mean the best things, movie about family to come out in the last right. couple of years? <laughs> and both, both of those, though, just tried to be more serious comic book movies or more complex comic book movies. Or, of course, what? there was Thor Ragnarok, which doubled down on camp pulp. Right. <laughs> which is great. And I want to see more like that. Or I'm waiting for the new, for like the next Honest to God comic book murder mystery. Oh, like, God. actually have a, a fun Batman movie? I mean, and I mean Ant-Man. Ant-Man and was I, a straight-up heist. Yes! And one of the things I remember is, well, some critics who I actually like are like, look, this movie's good. It would have been better, like, ten years ago compared to what we have now, but for what it is, it's really fun. Absolutely. 
But um, like there could be a pulp mu- there will, there are pulp musicals and I have no comic book musical and I am waiting for the day. Well, they tried to do Spider Man, but that was just No no I no. I don't mean I on know. stage, I mean on screen. Would you naturally do it? Oh yeah. That would be good. <laughs> um Oh actually no, something I was thinking in terms of, of looking back at like history of pulp and it allows me to talk about one of my other favorite bugbears, which is of course John Carter. Yeah. The greatest movie that everybody <laughs> hated but me. Um, <laughs> but John Carter is, of course, like, that's a pulp, like, that's Edgar Rice Burroughs, like, Tarzan shit right there. Right. Like, that is the oldest of pulp adventure success stories in terms of the novels. Um, and John Carter, as well as a, a few of the other things that Burroughs wrote, like, there was, like, Carson uh, Napier of Venus and some other things, were, uh, like, the way that that genre was described was the planetary romance. Like, you had your space opera when you were hopping around with huge space empires in the the sort of Flash Gordon later Star Wars mode. But like, oh, we're going to a weird planet and we're just going to get embroiled in planetary drama and high emotion and whatever. Like, they straight up called it planetary romance. Well, and I, I retroactively love that. I mean, I, I get that it's not just romance in the way that right. we colloquially mean it now. But also that... That is often shoved to the side, though. Like, even that term isn't used much. Uh, and it, I find that odd. Let's talk about another movie that is just as brilliant, known as The Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> We're slowly turning into a, a podcast where we just talk about The Highlander and Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> and, Which, and what a wonderful world that would be. But <laughs> Just the first Highlander, by the way. That's the only yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, no. Heard. Highlander 2, The Quickening. Fucking A. Anyhow, <laughs> the first Highlander is it's be it's Pope to the point where you just accept the fact that Sean Connery is a is a Spanish. Oh, or you mean? Do you mean the Spaniard? <laughs> yes, I am the Spaniard from Spain. <laughs> ah, any movie that opens up with. Duncan McLeod just watching a, wrestle, a WWF wrestling match. I had forgot about all of that until you shot for shot described it last time. <laughs> oh, I had like a visceral flashback. Which is, I don't know how you forget it because it's one of the best ways to open up I, a movie I, about I actually, an immortal man I, who must shop off head. I don't actually own Highlander. I don't think I've seen it since like the last time you, since the last time I watched it with you. No, you didn't watch it with me because I just saw it for the first time like four years ago. Oh really? Yeah. I watched it with some. I watched it with someone from the old crew. Like it, it was like you or, or Richard or someone. I don't it might know. Might have been Richard or Jono. Yeah, but uh, shout out to names that we just said. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, like I I need to own the first Highlander because every time we talk about it, I'm just like God. I need to watch it <laughs> <laughs> because the villain. Hey, he's beyond cardboard thin. He's barely even boyed. It's like he's, he's so he's so thin you can see through him. Like, yet his he only chews motivation all the is scenery. to kill Duncan McLeod. Just absolutely. At no uh, point in time does he attempt to blend in. At no point in time do people find him odd. <laughs> even though he and he like dresses like a, a, a cyberpunk ball. nightmare like fetish gear villain monster <laughs> like i don't i i i can't i cannot describe the kurgan <laughs> you must but be like, experienced the thing is like 
Part of pulp is like not trying. Oh, by, by the way, it. by the way, you you meant you meant Connor McCloud. Duncan was the TV series. Oh my bad. Yes, I meant Connor. I apologize. But part Incredibly of the with the pulp and the modern day audience is with pulp, you can't worry about making sense. Uh, oh, that also defeats the entire purpose of what you're doing. Yeah. Also tangential to what we what we're talking about now and connected to what we talked about last week. Highlander is also great because Christopher Lambert was he got better over time. <laughs> but Christopher Lambert is like not as not to as much of an extent but has that uncanniness that I would almost describe to Tommy Wiseau, but like Tommy Wiseau has it a thousand times worse. Right, right. That's a very interesting point because I was going to say like I wouldn't call it a bad performance because it's too interesting to be awful. But yeah, it's in it's, no way what you would call a traditionally good performance. Like, it's it's entrancingly <laughs> odd. Like, the look he's giving when the film opens up, because they do this weird thing where they do, like, a shot of him in the crowd and just stand at the camera, and I'm like, are you constipated? Or are you having a stroke? Or is this what you, what you call your intense stare? Because either way, it's beautiful, because I don't know what's going on. Oh. And when he's trying to look seductively at the love interest, it's like, what is? What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you going to kill her? Oh, you're going to kiss her? Whew. I thought you were going to murder oh. her. You need to work on that face. Really, I mean, Christopher Lambert is a treat in just about everything. Um, <laughs> he, is, he is of a generation of actors, much like Christopher <laughs> Lover, who they don't behave like a human being behaves. Right! But they behave in the way they think human beings behave, and that makes it all the more interesting. Yeah. Um, Speaking of... Which I would say, just in in point, it's something that men are afforded that women are not. Because I've never seen actresses allowed to give those sort of bizarre, almost uncanny valley performances. No, the the strangest you get to be is uh, uh, like one of those whatever uh the 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 girls who were weird but quirky like i can't yeah, no, the, my, um, I know i'm blanking about. on it the um <laughs> manic pixie dream girl yes manic pixie dream girl thank you i, I just completely blanked on it somehow Ooh. also uh, another uh, uh christopher lambert movie shout out um <laughs> because in in 1999 uh christopher lambert was in a post-apocalyptic beowulf movie Movie and that's that? all I have to say about that. <laughs> was he it was, called Beowulf? He, it was called Beowulf. He played Beowulf. <laughs> Watch it. It is... <laughs> like, 1999 is, like, the year that X-Men and, like, fucking The Matrix and all this other shit was coming out. But also in 1999, <laughs> Christopher Lambert starred as Beowulf <laughs> in Beowulf. <laughs> and you need to experience this. <laughs> It, it feels like the 90s we did cyberpunk in a way that was more fun and entertaining than in the way we do it now. Yeah, I I would buy that. <laughs> uh. But getting back to uh, On Point, with Pulp, I think what we're seeing now is a weird sort of, it's not Pulp, but we're just sort of cherry-picking the things we like from Pulp without hmm. understanding why it works in pulp and why it's now working some of the things we use now, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of it, I think, comes from the fact that we don't receive a lot of these things in the context of knowing where they're coming from. Like right. mo- people, everybody knows what star Wars is, but right. very few people knows what like pulp, uh, what pulp means as a genre descriptor. Well, uh, and I, and, going, going back to what you were saying about how we're taking it too seriously. We write, and we, there are people who write deep, long analysis pieces on the original star Wars movies and you're like, I don't think George Lucas gave it this much thought. I mean, and I don't care. Like, I, I'm not saying don't do that. No, no, no. Those like, are beautiful, and those are fantastic. I'm just like, saying it's uh, one of the things where, like... I mean, I'm, I I'm all about... I guarantee you none of this occurred to George Lucas. Yeah, I'm all about savagely murdering the author. Don't don't get me wrong <laughs> about that. Uh, kill all authors. Hashtag kill all authors. But, um... <laughs> but... But, yeah, like, the... The self-seriousness of fandom in some ways, it, like the sort of, I don't know, it, it undercuts a lot of the ma- what I think of as the magic of pulp. Like the right. exaggeratedness, the silliness, like that's part of it. And it should be part of it. And which is um, not to say we shouldn't examine pulp with any kind of an no, analytical not. lens. I, I, know, I know academics who like have written books like about pulp crime fiction. Like it, it's... <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's culturally influential on, you know, as we've said, on movies and media throughout the century up to now, and and especially looking at things like Star Wars and looking at superhero movies. Like, it's great to look at the roots of these things and think about them deeply, and that is that is important. But I think also as fans, it's important to just like unclench a little and think about the fact that like Star Wars is Star Wars is the biggest thing in the world, and that means something, but. Right. It's also just uh, yet another expression of something that you know. It, it's a uh, it doesn't take like it, that doesn't take itself as seriously. Like the people who are writing pulp adventure novels, they were cranking out two novel length things a month. Right. Like it was amazing, uh, and it's and, and a lot. Yeah, it, and, and a lot of it is like thin and ridiculous, and and just completely doesn't stand up to any kind of logical scrutiny or whatever. But it. It isn't trying to, you know, going back to sort of the theme of the last of these last two episodes is is a lot of this is about the context of it. I think, well, being able to appreciate that. Part of the blame, I think, could rest on Tarantino. Yeah, let's blame Tarantino. I, I feel good about that. I said part. I said part. I didn't nope. mean all. Nope, we're blaming all well, all okay. of it on Tarantino. <laughs> but like with Pulp Fiction, because the way I found out about Pulp and what like what it meant about cheap pulp books was Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Because when that movie came out, the DVD extras and everything, they would not stop telling you what where Pulp derived from. Right. And Tarantino has sort of raised the idea of Grindhouse and Pulp Fiction and Be Yeah, yeah, that's that was actually just what I was gonna say. Like his, his it's not it's not wrong. Right. It's just an it's just an incomplete picture. He's raised it uh, to a level to where people are like, yes, it's really sort of deep. I'm like, no, they will make it. They were grinding these out. That's why they were called Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah. Like he, and I mean, that's 100 percent in the spirit of what was going on with pulp literature in the the 30s and 40s and and before. Is it's you know they they just grind it out. It was make work, and and people made pretty good livings during the depression doing that. Right. The guy who wrote Doc Savage like lived real well when no one else could because. People bought cheap magazines to make themselves feel better when they right. couldn't eat. Well, that's also, <laughs> that also plays into like the uh, the mo- the big studios at that time, like with MGM musicals and all that. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a time, and they were just looking for <laughs> any kind of 
amusement, something to like, oh my god, please take but my yeah, mind yeah, off like, the hellhole that like, is my Tar- life. Tarantino has definitely tied the the idea of pulp to the very like gritty, like the grindhouse and the black exploitation, uh, right. like seventies aesthetic that that is one hundred percent an inheritor of of the pulp fiction of the early twentieth century, but not the only one. And I think he's like, mainstreamed it, and I think he's mm-hmm. raised it to a respectable level to for some people. Mm. And well, that's why we need to take it back. Hashtag make pulp, make pulp stupid again. <laughs> I'm hashtagging everything the, now to keep us hashtag on brand. Stupid again. <laughs> or admit that pulp was stupid already. <laughs> well, it was always already stupid. It's fine. Right. We love it. Well, well actually... Go ahead. Oh, okay. I, I want I want to inject uh, a hill that I will always die on. Okay. Which is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I love. I just I say, fucking loved it. If you recall, I, I gave that four. I love hikes. that movie, and the reason I think to to say why everyone else was empirically wrong about it, objectively, it is good, and everyone who says otherwise is a, a criminal. <laughs> who is spreading slanderous lies and or libelous ones, depending on the media, uh, is because it actually weirdly leaned further into like the camp pulp of the fifties. Like when the movie took place, uh, the campy, like alien invasion, like adventure serial aesthetic, as opposed to the divorced from pulp, idea of what indiana jones was right. and i think that's i think that's at the core of why for example you and i fucking ate it up <laughs> and and a lot of people were like oh nuking the fridge it's like no no, no it's... to quote dale mcdonald wait 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 what you didn't have a problem with him lighting a submarine underwater <laughs> on the outside like clinging to the side of a submarine is fine but you know what I actually, I like the fact that a fridge was nuked because you know what it ended with? An image of Indiana Jones silhouetted by a fucking mushroom cloud. (laughs) So you just shut up forever because I got to see that and I'm happy about it. Not only that, but how do you not enjoy Kate Blanchett (laughs) crunching every R with that? Kate Blanchett, when she gets to, when she gets in the, like the pulp villain role, she's the best pulp villain. (laughs) Like she was amazing in Thor. She was phenomenal in crystal skull. Like that woman can chew scenery. Well, when people were like, oh my God, she's so good in Thor. I'm like, yeah, she was. Did you not fucking see kingdom of the custom skull kingdom of the crystal skulls? Well, it's great because we also got like that little snippet of that in Fellowship of the Ring when she's all like, instead of a dark lord, you'll have a queen! <laughs> and it's just like, that was previews for the, the the shit that she would give us later as a gift. The only thing I hated about Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls was Shia LaBeouf, but that's just only because fuck Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, he's a, he's annoying. But even then, like, I actually thought he did the, the, the kind of annoying greaser kid thing pretty well. Yeah, no, like, I actually liked his performance. Like, what, what I really loved was when it took that weird turn of, like, aliens are real. Yes, because as you pointed out, in Indiana Jones, everything is Everything's real. real. Everything's real. God is real. Also, Indian gods are real. Also, <laughs> aliens are real. Because, of course, they all are. It's Indiana Jones. <laughs> Skepticism <sighs> has no place in pulp fiction. Like, fucking, do people forget the fact that Temple of Doom was all like, oh, yeah, the, the whole Kali Ma thing? That's not just fucking sounds. You're ripping out <laughs> hearts for Kali, you ignorant <laughs> jackasses. <laughs> 
And Indiana Jones ends it by like confronting the dude and being like, you betrayed Shiva. Yeah, it's not just Christian mythology that's real. It's everything. <laughs> and on that note, yes. it's time to say goodbye. Yes, that's that's the thesis of Pulp. Everything is real and crazy and amazing. <laughs> it's what makes it beautiful. It's what makes it fun. It's what makes it 100% American. Yeah, take it take it a little less... Like, be serious about how it should not be taken seriously. Uh, that is... The, I always go back to the third Doctor quote, like Sarah Jane being like, you're, you're not serious, are you? About what I do, yes. Not necessarily how I do it. And with that, be sure to check us out and review and rate us on iTunes. Be sure to check out Ladies First. Be sure to check out Unabashed Book Snobbery. And be sure to check out The Phantom Menalist. That's all for now. I'm Jeremiah and Thad. Say goodbye. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I am Thad and goodbye.